0: I'm so grateful that your response to God's word is not the same as the Israelites. They wanted to stay far away from God's word, but you're here today, you're, you're, you're here to hear God's word, uh, and that's the, the response that we should have, uh, like Moses, to draw near to God and to his words. Let me say a prayer for us, and we'll begin. Father God, thank you for your words. Thank you that... We can draw near to you. We can draw near to the scriptures and and through them to you. Would your Holy Spirit also bring us into your presence? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Uh, So the Ten Commandments. You've all probably heard of the Ten Commandments, and it probably uh, kind of provokes different images or thoughts in your mind, one of which might be this famous 1956 movie, uh, The Ten Commandments, starring Charlton Heston as Moses and Yule Brenner as Ramses. Just by show of hands, who has seen this movie? All right, so... Uh, I, I have seen uh, the movie. It is three hours and 40 minutes long. I think it includes about a 20-minute intermission. It's just a, a, a picture of, like, curtains. Uh, I watched that when I was much younger. I think I was probably, like, 10 or 11. And I remember thinking, this is a very, well, I don't know if I remember, but my, my impression is that it was a boring movie, <laughs> uh, but that I felt accomplished for having watched it. Laughter. I, I, I survived the Ten Commandments. Uh, I don't, don't worry, I don't have a lot of references to the Ten Commandments if you haven't seen it today. Mostly because I did not want to go back and re-watch it for today's uh, sermon. But the Ten Commandments really are uh, a cultural icon. They have continued in the popular Imagination. Uh, we see them in things like Jay Leno walking the street, and he, uh, he would ask people, you know, Bible trivia, and some of it might be, you know, what are the Ten Commandments? Can you, can you list the Ten Commandments? And, you know, people wouldn't be able to do it, of course, or they would say something uh, crazy. But then you also hear about it in more controversial situations, don't you, when uh, it becomes a kind of a debate over uh, how the, the church and state should interact when a, when a school or, a, uh, or a, a courthouse erects Ten Commandments and then a legal fight begins. So it's, it's kind of a, a reoccurring theme. We, we continue to hear about the Ten Commandments and see it featured in the news. Now, I'm not sure exactly when I learned about the Ten Commandments. I assume it was from my parents or in Sunday school. Uh, and when I, uh, kind of my first impressions of the Ten Commandments have been that there are, you know, there are a list of rules that we must follow that were initially given to uh, the Israelites uh, many thousands of years ago. But we today should still follow at least nine of the Ten Commandments. But if I were to be walking down the street and Jay Leno stopped me and said, you know, what are the Ten Commandments, I don't think I would be able to say. For a long time I wouldn't have been able to tell him. Now I can kind of give the order and I actually want to share with you the secret to remembering the Ten Commandments today. But if he were to ask me more importantly, what are the Ten Commandments about? What do they teach us? I think that's a a much more important question. So if you had someone in your life ask you, well, what are those Ten Commandments about? Or they they come up in conversation. Are you just going to say, oh, well, they're just some old kind of rule book that we don't need to worry about anymore? Or do they speak truth into our lives today? Jesus actually had uh, something similar happen to him. Uh, An expert in the law, someone who claimed to be an expert in the Old Testament, uh, came up and asked him a similarly challenging question. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, we see this expert say this, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus' answer is brilliant. It helps us remember the heart of the law, what the law is all about, and what the Ten Commandments are all about. The Ten Commandments are about loving God And loving others, loving your neighbor, just like Jesus says. And as we approach the law, we're we're reading the Ten Commandments today, and then we're next week we're going to be looking at some more of the law. When you get confused and when you get lost, when we get down into those, uh, you know, laws about you know if your bull falls in a pit and it dies and what to do. You know, I know that you can all relate to that. Just remember that Jesus gave us a way to interpret the law, that somehow this law is either about loving God or it is about loving my neighbor. And there's principles that we can draw out of them. And so today we're going to look at the Ten Commandments through that framework of loving God and loving my neighbor. So let's just jump right in with the first four commandments. The first four commandments, you can divide them up, one through four, they really speak to this aspect of of loving God. Uh, Chris reminded me this week that it's really about the vertical relationship with God. Uh, the people of Israel have to get their relationship right with God first so that they can get their relationship right with others. When you treat God right, when you interact with him in a healthy way, you're going to interact with your neighbor in a healthy way. And so the next six commandments, four, uh, five through, through six, are going to be all about loving neighbor. Now, uh, by chapter twenty of Exodus, a lot has happened to the Israelites. They have come out of bondage in Egypt. They have uh, come to this mountain. We just watched this video by the Bible Project that really uh, kind of reviewed chapter nineteen for us, where they they met God, but then they didn't really interact with God. They didn't they didn't draw near to God. They were afraid of God and His holiness when He came down on the mountain. They were frightened. Now, there's there's a, a tension there. There's a tension in the relationship between God and the Israelites. God wants to be in relationship with the Israelites, but he's unable to do so because the Israelites are unholy and God is holy. And so, how can we form a relationship despite that unholiness, despite the problem there? So God gives the Israelites the law. The law is a way in which they can honor God, they can interact with God. The first set of laws that he gives the Israelites is the Ten Commandments. Now, uh, Terry uh, reminded me of kind of how the Ten Commandments would compare today to something that we might be familiar with. So on the left here, we see the Bill of Rights. The Ten Commandments is like the U.S. Bill of Rights. And then Exodus chapter 21 through 24, which are going to follow uh, next week, uh, they're like case law. So case law is kind of the individual circumstances in when, which you, you put your, your rights into action. How do, how do my rights impact this situation? So the Bill of Rights uh, were the first ten amendments to the U.S. Constitution that were designed to protect the individual liberties of the people and the the states. Likewise, the Ten Commandments are given to us for our individual liberty. They're given to the nation of Israel to protect their spiritual liberty their liberty uh, through their relationship with God, but then also their physical liberties, how they interact with those around them. And we can take those same principles and apply it to ourselves today. So the first four commandments protect the liberty of knowing and loving God, and the next uh, six commandments protect the liberty of, of being in relationship, being in a new community that's forming to honor God. So the first four honor the vertical relationship and the next six the horizontal relationship. Now before we get into the Ten Commandments, I want you to look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is like the introduction to the Ten Commandments. That chapter in books that you all skip over before you just dive right in in chapter 1, usually the introduction kind of helps frame how to read the book. It's a worthwhile chapter to read. verse 2 is like the introduction to the Ten Commandments it's reminding the people that God has already done so much for them God has delivered them out of bondage God has delivered them out of slavery he has been gracious to them and now he's going to ask them to obey him so God doesn't say you need to obey me you need to do all these things and then I'm going to deliver you He says I'm going to deliver you and here in response to what I have done and to the goodness that I have shown you act and live a certain way And that's a reminder for Christians as believers, as followers of Jesus, we're the same way, aren't we? See, we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by our good deeds, by following the laws of God. We're just saved by God's grace. He shows his grace and his compassion to us. And then what does he do? He calls us to live a new life, to to live a life that honors him, to obey him. And so that principle still applies to us today that we prioritize God because he has already prioritized us long ago. And that leads me to the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. So the first commandment really teaches us to love God by putting him first, by putting him first in our lives. You shall have no other gods before me. Now remember God invites the Israelites into covenant relationship. We saw that word covenant in the video. A covenant is a promise where God is involved, a promise where God is involved. God is... uh, uh, is promising himself to the, the nation of Israel because he promised himself to their forefathers a long time ago, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's through this family, the Hebrew people, that God wants to change the world, that God wants to uh, bring light and grace into the world. Remember, they are to be a priesthood uh, nation. They're to, to take the message of God, of Yahweh, the God of Israel, to everyone. And that message starts with this simple truth that we're to put God first, and that's how we love him. And one of the ways uh, that God teaches the people to do that is through monotheism. Monotheism is the belief that there is only one true God, and that the rest of the gods are fake, that all other pathways and uh, kind of religions don't measure up to what God is teaching uh, the Israelites here. This was the point of the plagues. God has already been teaching this to the Israelites. This should not come as a surprise because the plagues, what did they do? The plagues countered the false gods of Egypt. Each plague, whether it was turning the Nile into blood or frogs or uh, locusts, whatever it was, it was countering one of their false gods. And so God is saying, I am first, and you can love me by putting me first in your life. Have no other gods before me. Now, in our context today, this still teaches us to ask a question. Do we believe this? Do we believe there is only one true God? That's a a hard thing to believe. That is a countercultural thing to say, because it does mean that there is indeed one true pathway to God. That one is true and the rest are false. Now, maybe you've heard it kind of said that, you know, all the different religions of the world, whether it's Christianity, Judaism, Islam, uh, Buddhism, or Hinduism, that they're like different pathways up a mountain. There's one giant mountain. You can climb this mountain a variety of ways. And when, you, when everyone kind of finally at the end of time gets to the top, they'll discover, oh, we were all really climbing the same mountain all along. So why did we spend time uh, kind of arguing and, and uh, being in conflict with each other? That's, a, that's kind of a, a, a beautiful idea, but it's, it's not what the scriptures present. It's not what the Bible presents. And if we want to respect even the other belief systems, whether Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism, they don't believe that either. And so we want to respect their belief systems. And that's why we, we take the scriptures seriously, that in the end there is a certain pathway. Jesus himself calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. And the scriptures say there's no other name by which we can know God but through him. So Christianity does make some pretty challenging truth claims that we should wrestle with. We love God the way he intends when we worship him as the one true God. Now, a way you can remember this, and just all with me, bear for a moment, Just put your, your, your index finger up in the air with me. Would you just do that? So this is the one true God. So no other gods but me. All right, you can put it down. That's a way that you can remember the first commandment with the number one, with your index finger. Now, there's another aspect to this. If we believe that we are to have no other gods before him, the next question is, are we doing that? Are there things in our lives that we are putting before the one true God? Now, that's a, that's a challenging question to wrestle with because we all have things we love, we have things we enjoy, we have things we're passionate about, but as we read this commandment, we should have a heart check to say, you know, are there things that I do put before God? Do I put my my career before my God. I'm always working late. I'm always going to work early. I I proudly say I'm a workaholic. Well, where does God fit into your schedule? We can even put our, our family. We want to love our neighbor. We want to love our family. But if we put them before God, then we're breaking the first commandment. So let's put him first. The first commandment teaches us to love God by putting him first in our lives. Second commandment teaches us to love God by not trying to control him. Second commandment, verse 4, it says, You shall not make for yourself an image. Uh, You can remember this. I won't won't make you put your fingers up in the air again. uh, But you can remember this with the number 2. So if you look at the number 2 on the board there on the screen, what does it look like? It looks like a little person bowing down or perhaps a little graven image. So we're not to make any image, any false image, not to make any idols. And we sang about worshiping God and bowing down. We're to bow down to God, not to another image. Now, in Egypt, in that culture... Idols were not, they didn't, the people, the people weren't dumb. The people uh, were intelligent. They didn't think that you could make this little image out of gold or wood or silver and that that in- indeed was a God. They thought that that was a pathway to God, that that was uh, a way that you could interact with, with a god, with a deity, with a, perhaps an angel or demon, whatever they would call it in that culture, through that image, through that idol. That if you burnt incense to that idol or you gave that idol money, that was a way that you could interact with the deity and they would be pleased with you. And one of the effects that this has is that those that were wealthy, well, they could be better off with God because they had more power. They were able to give more to the god. And so right here at the beginning, God is saying, you love me by putting me first, and you love me by not trying to control me. You love me by not treating me like the Egyptians treated their gods. And the Israelites took this fairly seriously after about a thousand years, it took them a while to learn this lesson. But if you were to walk into a synagogue today, you wouldn't see a painting or a, or a statue of a person. Like, you're not going to find a statue of Moses in a synagogue. In fact, in Islam, you're not going to find paintings or statues Either. You're going to find uh, kind of geometric uh, symbols, you're going to find colors uh, and, and patterns, but you're not going to find uh, a painting because of this commandment. Have no other gods and then don't make a god in a, a false image. So today we can also check our hearts and say, well, how do I try to control God? How do I try to manipulate and bargain with God to get him to do the things I want? Oh, God, I want my team to win. I will, uh, you know, I will help out at church next weekend. I'll go a little bit early if my, if my team wins the game. Oh, God, you know, I, I, I promise that I will read my Bible more. I will pray more if you will uh, take care of my child that's not feeling well. Oh god, I want this promotion so badly. If you if you give me this promotion, I promise to write a big check to the church. Now that's actually not idolatry. You can you can you can do that one. I'm just kidding. Anytime we try to bargain with God to try to control him, we're we're kind of getting on the verge of this sin. Because when we do that, what is the thing that we really want? We don't actually want God. We want the thing. We want the promotion. We want the the health for our family member. Uh, we, We want the success. We want whatever that is more than we desire God. And God is saying, that's not how you love me. You love me by not seeking to control me, but just by loving me, by putting me first. So the first two fit together Well. And you know what? Our God is worth loving. Verse 5 is the first time in the scriptures where God says he loves his people. He has already demonstrated his love by bringing them out of bondage, by bringing them out of slavery, but now he was saying it. He's saying, I love you. Don't make images. This This is what's best for you. So we love God by not trying to control him. Now the third commandment. We love God by representing him well. Verse 7 says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Now you can remember uh, the third commandment uh, with the number three. And if you add like a flagpole to the three, it, it looks like a B. So a B for blasphemy. Uh, don't take the Lord's name in vain. The Israelites were to be a kingdom of priests, right? Right? And that means they were to act as God's name bearers. They were to act as the ones that represented Yahweh to the nations. And so that means when they go out and they go out into the world and they interact with Egyptians and Midianites and uh, their neighbors, they're to represent God well. Well. I do believe this means, you know, don't take God's name lightly, don't, don't swear at God, don't cuss at God, but I think even more than that, it means represent God, God well. If you're, if you're someone who calls yourself an Israelite, the people of God, if you're someone who calls yourself a Christian, Christ is in the name, then you need to represent him well in your life. As Christians, we do represent Christ in our interactions, don't we? Whether we're thinking about it or not, so how are we treating those around us? Are we loving them? Are we trying? Are we are we getting ahead in life at the at the expense of others? Do we not care about how we're interacting? Well, we're always representing Christ as Christians, even when we don't think about it. I think you could say, you know, I know that sometimes this this commandment is used so that if someone's swearing and they they take Jesus' name in vain or God's name in vain, we can say, well, don't do that. You know, you're not supposed to take God's name in vain. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But remember, the Ten Commandments were written first and foremost for the Israelites. (laughs) And when you jump to the Third Commandment without telling them about the First Commandment, you actually mix up the order. See, the the solution if someone is taking God's name in vain is not to say don't swear at Jesus or don't swear at God. The solution is to introduce them to God so that they won't want to swear, so that they will know Jesus and they will love him and be in relationship with him. We love God by representing him well. Fourth commandment, we love God by resting in him. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. This one, uh, the way to remember this is a little bit more challenging. You have to use your imagination just a little bit. So if you take the number four and you flip it upside down, it looks a little bit like a couch or like a lazy boy that you can sit on. And, well, what do, what do you do on, the, on, on your day of rest? What do you do on a Sabbath day or, or Sunday? Well, you sit on the couch, or at least I do. Uh, I don't know about you, but you take a day to rest and relax. Now, this is the first time in the scriptures where God is really codifying this idea of a Sabbath rest for the nation of Israel. We saw Sabbath hinted at in Genesis chapter 2 with creation. And we saw it uh, just a couple weeks ago in Exodus chapter 16 when God said, you know, collect manna for six days. And on that sixth day, take a break, uh, you know, collect double the amount. But on that seventh day, don't collect any manna. But here, finally, God is saying, Take the seventh day, the Sabbath day, which would have been Friday evening. It's Friday at sundown to about the same time on Saturday. And take that as a day that's holy to the Lord, to worship God, to surrender to him. Now, this is different than the foreign cultures. No other culture in the ancient Near East did this. And that's primarily because uh, those cultures, um, like calendars and the way of viewing life, was cyclical. It was life, death, death. Uh, Life, birth, rebirth, uh, death, uh, kind of following the seasons, right? Nowhere in nature do we see a seven-day pattern. That is purely of God. And when you get rid of that, what do you do? You get rid of God. Now, we as a church, even though we worship on Saturday, we're not particularly a a church that says you have to worship on Saturday. Saturday on on a Sabbath, as as Christians, uh, we actually operate a a different way. We don't uh, keep the Sabbath, but we do believe in setting aside a day to rest, a day a week to worship God, to serve others, and to experience kind of Sabbath rest. Now, I started working part-time when I was about... Uh, 12 years old, I was in, a, I was in a, a, a tourist town, so I grew up in Estes Park, Colorado in the mountains, and I, I started working about 14 hours a week. And as I worked through the years, I worked with many different people, um, but it was interesting, as I, as I worked with different people at this tourist shop, I noticed different types of working patterns. So I had a good friend who I love and care for dearly uh, who is Nepalese. And he was a very hard worker. He worked uh, six days a week, and then in the evenings he would go and and work at another store in town. And then on his day off from our store, he would continue to work. So he worked uh, seven days a week for, I think, all summer long. My boss, who was Jewish, she also worked all the time. She would occasionally go to synagogue, uh, but she always came into work after that. And she worked probably 10 to 12 hours day days day after day for the duration of the summer and then took like the winter months off now i love both of them i care for both of them deeply Uh, but that pattern reflects uh, a kind of uh, a mindset that says you know god isn't giving me rest that i need to work this amount of time in order to to provide for my needs neither of them believe in jesus neither of them are christians as christians we're called to an act of faith. It is an act of faith to lay down the email, to lay down uh, the kind of the the, the workday. On that day each week and saying, God, I give you this day and I'm going to try to just rest and and to relax. And that's hard, especially for for me. Like I I have difficulty doing that. But God calls us to that. It's an act of faith. It's an act of putting him first. It's an act of loving God, resting in him. So we love God by resting in him. Now I want to go to the next six commandments they really transitioning to them the next six commandments teach us to love our neighbor so once we've kind of focused on that vertical relationship we can transition to the horizontal the first one the fifth commandment we love our neighbors by honoring our parents it's a pretty simple principle here that in order to love those around us, we first have to love those people that we spend the most time with, our, our immediate family. The, first command, uh, the fifth commandment says, Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You can remember the fifth commandment, uh, the number five, it kind of looks like a baby carriage. So if you use your imagination, it looks a little bit like a baby carriage. I know people are laughing at me, but you're going to remember when you go home. Now this command is the first command to uh, commandment to have a result. If you obey me, you will stay in the land I give you. So one of the ways that the Israelites can honor, uh, can love their neighbor is by honoring their parents, because if they, if they honor their parents, they'll get to stay in the promised land. They're not at the promised land yet, but they're heading towards the land of Canaan. And once they get there, it's dependent on this relationship, on loving their family and loving their neighbors this way. Now, in our sermon series, we have been memorizing our foundation verse, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. I love that uh, Andy brought that verse in. But what is that verse all about? It's all about parents teaching their children the commandments, right? Teaching their children the ways of God. Now, in order to do that well, you need children who are willing to listen to their parents, right? So this whole system is incredibly connected. The the parents are to teach their children, the children are to listen, and if they do this as a community, they'll get to stay in the land. So there's a calling in this commandment to the parents as well. Parents, teach your children to honor you and to honor God, to love God, and children, have a teachable heart. Be willing to listen to your parents. Because if you don't, uh, in, this, in this story, you'll get kicked out of the land. And there are many consequences in our culture, too, as the family unit breaks down. Now, at Cornerstone, our, our children's ministry works very hard to make disciples of our kids, to, to, to teach them the ways of God. But I believe that ultimately parents have the first responsibility to teach their children the Bible. To to teach their children about Jesus. And that everything that happens at Cornerstone is to be in addition to what you're already doing at home. So I want to encourage you if you're doing that and if you're not doing, to challenge you to uh, take that seriously. So we love our neighbor by honoring our parents Now, the sixth commandment, if I were to ask you on the street, uh, you know, can you name one of the commandments? You would probably say, uh, don't murder. Well, you would be right. Uh, We love our neighbor by valuing life. You shall not murder. Verse 13. Now, this one is pretty easy to remember uh, because when you die, you are buried, what, six feet under, right? So you got that number six. (laughs) Pat keeps shaking her head every time I, uh, I give one. Now, the King James Version, uh, maybe some of you read that edition, it actually says, uh, you shall not kill. But that's not actually what this is prohibiting. This is prohibiting murder. Uh, Douglas Stewart, I I got this quote via Tim Chester's book, but he was a professor at Gordon-Conwell where I went to seminary. And he says, this word murder means putting to death improperly for selfish reasons rather than with authorization. So it's not like... state-sanctioned punishment, it's, it's murder. See, Genesis chapter 1 says men and women were made in God's image. And if you're made in God's image, if, if essentially you're an idol in God's image, are, there's nothing more valuable than you outside of God himself. And so what this, this commandment is, it's not just saying don't murder, it's saying uh, treat those around you with love and respect because they have inherent value. And this would have been encouraging to the Israelites, to the people who had been treated as slaves for 400 years. I have inherent value in who I am, praise God. As Christians, we are called to uh, protect and, and to, to, to seek to preserve life in all of its stages, whether that's unborn, living, or the elderly. But it's life in every single stage. It's not just one stage or the other. We're to, as long as we are living, we are to be protecting and preserving life. And Jesus takes this uh, commandment and he amplifies it in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, he says, If you're angry with someone, it's as bad as murder. So if we imagine what it's like to, 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 to kill someone... Uh, or if they were dead, whether it's a, a family member, a friend, or an enemy, that's as bad as murdering. See, we're to, we're to value life. We're to treat others as, this, as if they are inherently special. So we love our neighbor by valuing life. And next we number seven, we love our neighbor by valuing marriage. Verse 14, uh, says, you shall not commit adultery. You can remember this because the A looks a little bit like a 7. Uh, for, or the 7 looks a little bit like an A for adultery. That one also takes some imagination. I don't know how well you're going to remember, but I hope so. The big story of the Bible is all about God keeping his promise, right? That God promises to, to deliver his people. And what better way to demonstrate that as the people of God than to be committed to marriage, this is all about that relationship. The New Testament describes Jesus as the bridegroom and the church, all of God's people from all times, as the bride of Christ. So Christ is going to be faithful to us. We're to be faithful to our spouses, to the ones we married, uh, marry, and we're to honor the marriage relationship, that there are certain things, uh, sex, that God says this belongs to the marriage relationship. We love our neighbor by valuing our marriage. When marriages break down, society hurts, right? When we love our neighbor and we love our families and we love our parents, society flourishes. But when we, when we break those relationships, society hurts, We love our neighbor by valuing marriage. And number eight, we love our neighbor by respecting what is theirs. So an eight looks a little bit like the number S, uh, for or the letter S for steal. We don't steal what belongs to our neighbor. This also would have been very encouraging to the Israelites. They just uh, were slaves for about 400 years. When you're slaves, when you're oppressed, what do you do to get by? You do anything it takes to get by, right? You probably steal. God is saying, you know, what belongs, what I give you is yours. Don't take what belongs to someone else, what I have given them. As Christians, we're called to, to respect what God gives to others as well. And this ties back into uh, the 10th commandment. But first, the ninth commandment. We love our neighbor by upholding their reputation. Verse 16 says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. The way you can remember this is number nine. It's kind of like a talking bubble. If you've ever seen those comic strips, uh, Bernie's frowning at me. (laughs) It takes some imagination, guys. You can do it. But it helps us, uh, you didn't know I was going to call you out. Uh, It helps us, uh, remember, we're not going to talk badly about our neighbor, right? We're not going to speak poorly of them. Now, in Exodus chapter 18, Moses appointed judges of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, right? So they were to rule over the people, and the really hard court cases came to Moses. Now, if people were coming to those court systems and they weren't telling the truth, would the system work? Well, no. They're called to speak the truth. The truth is as, as they understand it, as, as they experienced it. Speak the truth and let the judges decide. Now, this, this call to truth speaking among God's people extends not only to the law courts, but also to daily interactions. If an Israelite is speaking badly about another Israelite, that's not honoring to God either. I think it is Tim Chester in his book, uh, Exodus for You, that defines. It's, gossip is uh, confessing the sins of another uh, to to like your friend or to your family member. Or you're going to confession for them. Let me tell you about uh, their sins. Uh, God will forgive them if I tell you, right? <laughs> We're not to do that as Christians. Matthew chapter 18 says, you know, if your brother sins against you, go to them and speak directly to them about their sins. And we're going to do a series uh, starting on Easter called Conflict and Peacemaking, uh, which we're going to be talking on this sort of thing. So I encourage you to, to come back for that, to invite a friend. We love our neighbor by upholding their reputation. In the 10th commandment, we love our neighbor by our own contentment. It says, you shall not covet. You can remember this by just the number 10. Uh, 10 often stands for what is best. So don't covet your neighbor's best. Don't want what is theirs. This is the most, one of the most interesting commandments because it gets at the heart of the law, right? Uh, you can't legislate the heart. You can't legislate how someone feels. And yet, this commandment says we want to check our hearts. See, this this final commandment points us back to the first commandment. It reminds us that in order to feel content... We have to be satisfied with God. We have to love God and let him give us contentment. If we're if we if he is the thing we value most, we won't be tempted to steal. We won't be tempted to murder. We won't be tempted uh, well, we might be tempted to do those things, but we will be able to resist because we're finding our contentment in God. We love our neighbor by our own contentment. It's amazing how these 10 commandments fit together. See, they teach us to love God and to love our neighbor. So I'm going to review. You can remember, number one, we love God by putting him first with our index finger. We put God first. Number two, we love God by not trying to control him. That looks like the number two, like a little idol. We love God by representing him well. That's the number three, uh, B for blasphemy. Number four, we love God by resting in him. That's the upside down four for a couch. Uh, Number five, we love our neighbor by honoring our parents. That's like a little uh, baby carriage. Number six, we love our neighbor by valuing life, six feet under. Number seven, we love our neighbor by valuing marriage. Seven looks like adultery. Number eight, we love our neighbor by respecting what's theirs, looks like the S for steal. Number nine, we love our neighbor by upholding their reputation. That's the talking bubble. Number 10, we love our neighbor by our own contentment, by not wanting what belongs to our neighbor, by not wanting our neighbor's best. The 10 commandments teach us to love God and to love our neighbor. And now since I have told you what God has commanded you to do, how do you feel? <laughs> do any of you feel like you can uh, perfectly obey these 10 commandments? As we've looked at the heart of them, what have we found? we found that we all break these I have broken... All of the, I have broken the heart of every single one of these. I have, I have put myself first. I have valued other things before God. I have taken God's name in vain. I have not always honored my parents. I have hated others in my heart. I have lusted in my heart. I have gossiped about others. I fall flat on my face when I come before these Ten Commandments and before what God expects of me to be in relationship with him. Don't you feel that way? But there is a pathway forward. God does provide a way forward. As Christians, we actually don't relate to these Ten Commandments, and we don't relate to the the case laws in Israel as the way the Israelites related to them. There is hope. There is hope because of a Jewish carpenter that that lived probably about 1,000, 1,400 years later. And the Bible says that he fulfills the law, that he didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And that if you have a relationship with him, the law is good as done through him. And I am so excited to tell you all about that next week. (laughs) So come back. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for the law. Thank you for what you teach us through it. Thank you for how challenging and how convicting it is. I pray that that would convict each of our hearts. And I pray that it would bring each of us to Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.